The Oklahoma Sooners are going to win the Big 12 in 2023. I'll tell you why on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to another edition of Locked On Sooners Live. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. And if you're not subscribed to the channel, make sure you do that so that you can be a part of the chat. Let us know what your thoughts are, your comments, your questions. We'd love to hear from you here again on Locked On Sooners Live. We're here every Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time. And Josh, want to start with this. Reasons to be optimistic about the Oklahoma Sooners in 2023. I'll let you get started. Just give me one of those things. You can start offense, defense, special teams, coaching, wherever you want to go with it. Josh, hit me with a reason that to be optimistic about the Oklahoma Sooners this year. Well, I think there's quite a few reasons you could be optimistic about Oklahoma. I think probably it starts with quarterback for Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel, but uh, the the track record of the coaching staff on the defensive side of the football, I think is maybe even a greater reason to be optimistic for Oklahoma than the fact that you've got Dylan Gabriel back. Just the, the staff has proven and particularly Brent Venables has proven with his time at Clemson that, okay, year one might not be the absolute greatest defensive performance, but by years two, three and beyond defensively, what he did at Clemson, he's got a track record that things improve and all of a sudden you get championship results. And certainly we're looking, we're looking very quickly for that type of growth for Oklahoma. So I, I don't know that that's uh, that's not a personnel reason. That's simply a track record with Venables reason. And I think it's fair to say that they are on that trajectory. Was it up and down? Yeah. Were there a lot of reasons why you may, maybe aren't, optimistic about Oklahoma in 23. Sure. But based on what they've brought in through the portal personnel wise, I feel like the defense is going to be much, much improved. It's not going to be the same defense we saw a year ago. You got a lot of the same guys, but you've added talent and added depth to that group of guys that played significant roles for you. So now in addition to Ethan Downs, who had a solid first year at defensive end, in addition to Isaiah Coe and Jordan Kelly, who were arguably your two best interior players last year. You added a Jacob Lacey, a Davin Sears. Uh, in addition to Danny Stutzman, you got faster, you got stronger um, at the linebacker position. You're going to get more athletic. Uh, and again, faster, the most important aspect of that. Uh, love Dave, you know, David Aguebu, Deshaun White. At times, they weren't the, the quickest uh, either to diagnose or to, to get into the backfield or you know get down the line of scrimmage, uh, flow sideline to sideline. So feeling really good about that. Feeling good about what you're bringing up from the, the freshmen to the sophomores, uh, or freshmen were freshmen, now sophomores, and adding to Woody Washington and Billy Bowman. Uh, in addition to guys like Reggie Pearson that you brought in at safety, I just think defensively they just added so much talent that – it would shock me, absolutely shock me, if this defense wasn't a 
a top 75 defense. And I know that's like not really raising the bar very high, but if they can get to that point, to me, they're in the big 12 championship game with the offense, the way it, you know, hummed last year, 35 points per game. If you've got a defense that's, you know, allowing 27, 25 points per game, how much more of a difference does that make to Oklahoma's outlook in 23? If the defense is just able to make a few more stops and I think they're going to, I think it's just going to be better from front to back defensive line back. Everything's going to be better. You improve the pass rush. It improves the secondary. You improve the secondary. It helps the pass rush. It all works in concert. And I think that's good. That's going to be the biggest reason why the Oklahoma Sooners are better in 2023. And that's on the defensive side of the ball to your point about the quarterback. That's huge. Having continuity is huge for this team. And while they don't have a lot of continuity on the offensive line, Josh, they've got a lot of experience that they brought in as well. What about for you? What, what, uh, what are the couple of reasons you're optimistic about Oklahoma in 2023? I'm going to just say Jaleel Farouk, man. I know I keep coming back to this and I keep banging that drum, but you're going to have a hard time finding a bigger Jaleel Farouk Homer than I am. I just really think he's going to blow up this year and not just have like a good year. I really think he's going to be like first team, all big 12. You're going to be, you know, in conversation for like, all, you know, all American honorable mention, like he's going to have one of those types of seasons that really puts him on the NFL draft radar. And it, I don't know if he'd declare after a great year, but I really do think he's going to have one of those seasons. That's, you know, 1200 total yards, you know, looking at maybe, 10 total touchdowns, both rushing and receiving. And he, you know what? He might be the guy to break a return touchdown. Finally, it's been forever. It seems like since Oklahoma has gotten a return touchdown in their favor, they're always giving up, you know, kick return for touchdowns, but Jalil Farouk might be the guy to finally break one and get you a kick return touchdown. I mean, he just does everything so, so well. Yeah. He had a few jobs this year, last year. Like Hank says, little Debo Samuel. I totally see the comp. And I think he runs with the same kind of ferociousness that you want when a guy is, is catching wide receiver screens, taking jet sweeps, you know, doing all the things that Jeff Levy wants his wide receiver one to be able to do in the offense. Marvin Mims, he's a great player, not necessarily the best fit for a wide receiver one in a Jeff Levy offense that asks his wide receivers to do so many things. Like I said, catch wide receiver screens, bubble screens, jet sweeps, reverses. And then run all the different routes that he expects. Slants, sluggos, you know, running downfield on nine routes, posts, everything. D, uh, Jalil Farouk just has, to me, the perfect skill set to really receive close to 100 touches this year and, and thrive because of it. Anything else? Anything else for Oklahoma that uh, you're particularly excited about? I mean – Transfer portal additions. I feel like we've spent a lot of time over the last weeks and months talking about that. That feels like if uh, we review this thing, it then, you know, not why are you optimistic, but why did it work out for Oklahoma? We, we would have to revisit just a, a bevy of transfer portal additions for Oklahoma. But I do think you look at that and you say, okay, that's also a reason to be optimistic for Oklahoma because Walter Rouse, has played a lot of football, has started a lot of football. Chance to be really, really good. Rondell Bothroyd, a lot of production for Rondell Bothroyd. Trace That's Ford. That's the one for me. Trace Ford has, a couple of years ago, 
really, really produced. McCullough, we, we, we keep saying, okay, that, that might be the, the singular transfer addition that people are most optimistic about for Oklahoma. So transfer portal additions. I feel like if we're saying, why are we optimistic for uh, Oklahoma in 2023? Some of it unproven, John, but it probably does have to again get back to what Oklahoma's added there. Yeah, and for me, it's it's Rondo Bothroyd. You brought in a guy that's got produ- enough production to where I feel like he could have been a top 100 pick in the NFL draft had he declared and gone this year. I mean, 14 sacks, 24 and a half tackles for loss this past, you know, the past two years. That's really good at the college level for a guy that plays both inside and outside. Like a lot of teams are going to really enjoy having his skill set when he gets to the NFL level. He's going to be on Oklahoma sooner this year. And I think that's going to provide a huge boost to the pass rush, which again, as I mentioned, it's going to help everything out. If he comes in and he's able to have six, seven sacks for the Oklahoma Sooners, that really changes everything because you didn't have a guy that other teams had to fear last year. Well, now you kind of got a guy, him and Deshaun McCullough. You've got guys that the offense has to consider when they're game planning. They've got to consider when they're drawing up their blocking schemes, when they're figuring out their playbook. You've got a guy that, and a guy that Todd Bates, Miguel Chavis, and Brent Venables and Ted Roof can move around. He doesn't have to just play, you know, play left defensive end and just stick there. He can play both sides. He can play on the interior in certain situations. So I think that's going to really benefit them in the versatile defense that they're really looking for. So I think, again, it all comes back to the defense. I know the offense is going to be really good. It comes back to the defense. And I do think with what they've added front to back on the defensive side of the ball, it's going to give Oklahoma a chance to be really, really good in 2023. And I do think that they're going to win the Big 12 this year because of it. So Oklahoma was 122nd nationally defensively. Let's let's drill deeper on why we think they're going to be improved there. Let, let's have that discussion because I, I think that they can be. I'm hopeful that they will be. And it's not just because of Brent Venables and his tracker, track record. But let's do that after we talk to you about FanDuel. Check out FanDuel. We're past the halfway point of the NBA season, really coming down the home stretch here, NBA-wise. And now it's the perfect time to download download FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. The app, it's uh, safe, it's secure, super easy to use. Bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. That's right, a no-sweat first bet for new customers, up to $1,000. FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat first bet. Up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel. FanDuel.com backslash locked on. That's FanDuel.com backslash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So again, I told you, John, and I've been speaking of beating the drum, leading the band, uh, selling this point for anybody that will listen. For me, for a while, Brent Vittable's track record, his history at Clemson, the fact that, honestly, year one wasn't all that great for him and uh, really wasn't all that great for Clemson's defense over there. To me, I don't want to say that <laughs> necessarily that that definitively bodes well for Oklahoma here because 
Oklahoma did have a ton of problems defensively, John. They were 122nd nationally just in strictly total defense, and we could do that little exercise really for just about anywhere you'd look defensively. Rushing defense, passing defense, uh, sacks, total sacks in Big 12 play. I think uh, we we did some digging on it the other day, John, and it was 113th nationally if you just looked at Big 12 play and beyond for Oklahoma uh, in the sacks department. So there's a lot of areas that need shoring up for Oklahoma defensively. My simple question to you is why? Why? Why will Oklahoma be better this year and, and not because of coaching? Well, I mean, to me, it does come back to the fact that the defense is going to get a better pass rush. You're getting year, you know, it's year three of Ethan Downs. It's his second year as a starter. You're getting our Mason Thomas, our Mason Thomas, which Hank mentions who the dude's got juice. We saw in glimpses this past season that he can really fly off the edge and he can create havoc in the backfield. He's going to get more snaps. He's just going to earn them. And they're going to want that, that speed, that, uh, agility, that aggressiveness. They're going to want that on the field. And I think he's a really good fit for what Brent Venables wants to be fast and aggressive, right? Tenacious. He's kind of got those qualities. So I think you're going to see an improved pass rush because you're going to see the talent take steps. You're going to see Ethan Allen's taking a step forward. I even think you'll see Reggie Grimes be a little bit better after having a year under his belt as a starter. Marcus Stripling got more snaps last year than he'd gotten in previous seasons as well. You're going to see improved Isaiah Coe and, Jor- and uh, Jordan Kelly's. And then all the talent that they brought in to help rush the passer. Trace Ford, Desan McCullough, Rondo Bothroyd, Adepojo Adabare, like so many dudes that they brought in. They said, listen, We've got to get after the passer. Now, yes, they did have a lot of sacks. The total number looks great, but you look at the games, you watch it, you watch it back. You can go back right now and watch it situationally and against the Big 12 competition. It was not consistent. It just wasn't. And that was one of the big reasons why they weren't able to get off the field in third downs. They weren't able to get stops in critical situations is because they couldn't rush the passer. They allowed Quarterbacks like Adrian Martinez or Max Duggan or Blake Shapin or uh, the guy down in Texas Tech whose name is you know escaping me right now uh, to just have really good passing days against them. And so the Sooners have to be better uh, rushing the passer so that they can get off the field. They did a good job getting tackles for losses, putting teams in long down and distances, but then they weren't able to stop them when it was – third and 10, third and 12, third and 14. I I had very little confidence most games that Oklahoma was going to be able to get a stop on third down just because of the way the season progressed. But I think given what they're adding across the board, front to back on the defensive side of the football, both in the transfer portal and on the recruiting trail, kind of everybody's under pressure to improve. And if they don't, you might lose your job. You might not get as much playing time as you got a year ago because they kind of created this this atmosphere of competition with all the talent that they brought in. So to me, that's a a huge reason why it's going to get better. Third down defense for Oklahoma, actually one slot better than Texas when it was all said and done, but uh, 88th nationally for Oklahoma in that category. Let's see here. 40.9% of the time teams uh, converted against Oklahoma in third down situations, which obviously no rocket surgeon here, but that ain't gonna get it 
done. And yet you look at TCU, not not light years better, but uh, I mean, it, it is a you know far cry when you're talking about 36.5% that you're allowing your opponent to convert on third down versus even 40.9%. That those five percentage points that over the course of a season, you know, that's, that's a couple of key situations over the course of a year. That's the difference between being a college football playoff team that, Oh, by the way, gets in and finds a way to beat Michigan and play for a national championship and being 52nd naturally versus finishing where Oklahoma did, which is uh, 88th naturally. And uh, you guys know the end of the story there that Oklahoma was six and seven overall. So if they can just be that little bit better in third down uh, conversion defense, this, uh, this program is going to be in a much, much better situation. And as you said, if you can be better rushing the passer, that's going to go a long way for Oklahoma because guess what that does? Well, number one, you got a chance to get the, the passer itself down, right? you got a chance to come away with more sacks, which I keep going back to that stat that just blows my mind. Oklahoma was so good rushing the passer, and I get a couple of these games – you're playing against teams that, okay, you, you should be great against the, you know, you should be great rushing the passer in the first portion of the non-conference schedule. But, John, Oklahoma was 113th nationally in, in sacks. The Just based, if you look at just what the average number of sacks per game were over the Big 12 play and beyond to close the season, that, that's just got to get so much better. And then that gets into, okay, you're getting the, the passer down, or you're forcing the passer to make a quick decision. I mean, all of it's uh, all of it's uh, connected. It's got to get much, much better. No, it does. And, and I think the other thing that's a big difference between Oklahoma and TCU, TCU's defense was not very good, but they were really, really physical. And they played with a huge edge and a huge chip on their shoulder. I didn't feel like Oklahoma had that. I didn't feel like they were a physical defense or that they played with an edge or they played tenaciously. They just didn't. And so that's that's something that has to improve. Like the attitude on the defensive side of the football has to improve. And some of that comes with just the turnover on the defensive side. You can't have, with no disrespect to all the guys that were on that team last year and are still part of this team, you can't have kind of Alex Grinch's guys, which we felt like that defense just wasn't good enough and kind of expect to get different results so quickly. Kind of the mentality has to change. The attitude has to change. You got to, as Hank talks about, you got to go through the meat grinder a little bit. You got to go through a Brent Venables offseason or two, a Jerry Schmidt offseason or two to get more physical, to get tougher, to get more tenacious, to play more relentless, to play faster, to play quicker. And now we're getting that second full offseason. All those guys that are returning, They've got a year full of tape under their belt. They can see all the things that went well, see all the things that didn't go well. The coaches can speak to all that and they can speak to situationally where Oklahoma just has to be tougher. And I mean, that's really kind of what it comes down to because when, when TCU was getting stops, a lot of it was situationally. They were getting stops in key moments of the game. Now, the other aspect of that is their offense was just, you know, just caught lightning in a bottle this year with Max Duggan, Quentin Johnson, and Kendra Miller. Like, they were just really, really good, and they just did what they had to do at the end of games to win games. Even if the the defense gave up a score, the offense responded and was able to kind of – 
I hate to even make the comparison, but almost like, you know, the Baker Mayfield year or the Kyler Murray year where they just went score for score with everybody. Uh, TCU was kind of having that much success uh, this past season. It's what got Garrett Riley, quote unquote, a promotion uh, to go out to Clemson um, to find that, that success. So because he had that success. So I really do think like this is going to be a big, big um, off season of just development for this roster. And if they can find the edge and the tenaciousness and, and, you know, that chip on their shoulder to play with, that's going to allow them to play tougher. I think that's going to make a big difference. A lot of it is just attitude, you know, and for so long, the defense has been kind of the, the black sheep or the, the redheaded stepchild of the program, right? They haven't been living up to expectations, never really carried their own weight. But now the expectation is they carry their weight. They are what helps Oklahoma win games, not just getting dragged along for the ride. They got to get out there and learn how to impose their will again. And that's a totally different thing. It's you, you kind of think about young NBA teams who make the playoffs, but they don't know how to win. Same could be said for this defense. It's a young defense that doesn't know how to be a good defense because they haven't been a good defense for so long. Yeah, they've got to learn how to be that. And I think even us talking about TCU, it's probably worth pointing out they got housed in the national championship game. So it was proven for them that you're going to win and they got to get better across the board. It just once again on the big stage, shows that the Big 12, there was clearly a large gap between Georgia and TCU. And a little bit of that, I do think, was just kind of landslide city in the national championship game. But a couple of things are true from that. There's a gap there, a healthy, healthy gap between who Georgia is, which is the preeminent force in college football, what the SEC is, and oh, by the way, who the Big 12 and what the Big 12 champion is. And then on top of that, John, as we talk about, you know, parlaying that back, comparing it back to Oklahoma, you got to be great on both sides of the football. And if you're not great defensively, that tends to get exposed in the game's biggest moment. So that's why for Oklahoma, John, it's it's maybe not the long term here. Let's see how this works out because obviously it's better to be winning and still have a couple of problems that, you know, a couple of pieces of the boat that you're trying to plug up before you totally take on water here be better yes to be in that situation but if you start winning quickly again this year and beyond maybe it's not the worst thing maybe it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise for Oklahoma that some of these problems that OU's had they didn't get covered up you you weren't able to just apply makeup and uh and make this thing work this past season for Oklahoma instead your flaws your problems all of the defensive shortcomings that frankly we've seen for Oklahoma for a long time it was front and center and oh by the way it finally resulted in a six and seven season for Oklahoma so maybe that can wind up being a good thing for OU when it's all said and done that it was proven man you got a long long ways to go on that side of the football one more piece that I think we can look at and say okay maybe this is a reason to be optimistic John we did this last year but I do think this this is true for me the schedule. I, I'm optimistic that Oklahoma can win games against this schedule. Until proven otherwise, I don't see a bunch of teams on this schedule that Oklahoma should be too worried about or should feel like they can't beat. And again, with all of these shortcomings that Oklahoma had, namely defensively, John, though there were key moments offensively we could go back and point to and say, 
that didn't go necessarily perfectly either for Oklahoma last season. With all of those problems, there's a number of games you look at and say, eh, o- Oklahoma, a series or two away from winning that game. And that is in part because the schedule's not that imposing, John. Indeed. And so much of losing or winning close games kind of comes down to luck a lot of times. I know nobody wants to hear that, but a play here, a Marvin Mims catch here, a Dylan Gabriel hits him on the money here. Those make a big difference. Uh, You know, not getting a holding call in this drive, uh, you know, not having a fumble in this situation. Yeah. Some of that's execution, but a lot of times it's luck because we saw how good they could be on the deep ball. We saw how good they could be protecting the football. We saw how good the offensive line could be, you know, in, in situations. So uh, sometimes it just comes down to just either getting the breaks, which makes you so good in close games or not getting the breaks. And a lot of times that ends up evening out um, over the course of time. So Oklahoma was not good in one score games this last year. Some again, again, the defense, the defense wasn't able to make stops in key situations. The other aspect of that, a little bit of luck or a little bit of bad luck on Oklahoma's front. So I look for that to even out and for that to kind of, so what they say is return to the mean, you know, they're going to have positive regression where it gets back to working in their favor this next season. I think they start quote unquote, making their own luck because they're going to be a little bit better on both sides of the football, you know, or at least on the defensive side of the football, they'll definitely be better. It's one of those situations where because they will be better on defense that the close games will start kind of, turning in their favor um, as they go forward. A couple guys wanted at, or 405 boy asked a really good question. Josh, I'll let you get started on this one, but who are a couple freshmen do you think will show out for the Oklahoma Sooners this year? Well, I, I would be surprised if either Jaquay's Petaway or Keon Brown doesn't impact things for you in some capacity. And correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, neither one of those guys early enrollees, right? So that will – that will work against them a little bit. But uh, just the need at wide receiver, I think one of those two guys in some way, shape, or form probably going to uh, impact things for Oklahoma a little bit. And for a freshman or two beyond that, who you got, John? Because technically this was directed for you. Yeah, neither guy is an early enrollee, but that didn't stop Gavin Freeman. Gavin Freeman wasn't an early enrollee last year. He was a walk-on during the summer and found a way to make a big impact. I think there's a chance that Jaquay's Petaway especially could make a huge impact on this team. I'll go with Peyton Bowen. I know the safety position got a little bit of an infusion of talent with the addition of Reggie Pearson and Robert Spears Jennings. That's a dude that I'm really excited to see this year because just the flash that we saw last year when he just, you know, burst to the sideline and hit Jason Bean, knocked him out of bounds. Like, the speed that he played with for a true freshman who had very little snaps as a true freshman to come in in that situation and, and kind of show out. That's a guy that I'm kind of excited about. So I'm going to say Peyton Bowen. I think his returnability gives him an opportunity to make a difference early, but I also think that they'll rotate him in there at safety and just kind of see what he's got. And if he can provide a similar impact to what Billy Bowman did as a freshman, where it's kind of a rotational role. We know he's going to get some looks at Cheetah. So he'll get some looks at Cheetah, probably some, some, some nickel corner, some slot corner, um, and then some safety. I think that's going to give him an opportunity to, to have a, an impact 
Um, Caden Green is probably the other guy that I think could have a huge impact this year. Uh, the size is already there. The talent is definitely there. Can he kind of get his strength up to be able to compete at the you know power five level, the NCAA level? That'll be a question. Um, probably the other guy, maybe Lewis Carter. I know that's kind of a out of the box thought, but the kid's just a football player. And Brent Venables spoke very, very highly of him when talking about their new arrivals. Um, so I think that's a guy that could have an impact, even if it's just on special teams. I think he could be a big difference maker for us there because of the, his athleticism, his speed, his physicality. He just does everything really, really well. And that could end up lending himself to earning some snaps at the linebacker position. We know that they're going to be really young and really thin at linebacker. You got Danny Stutzman and you got a bunch of young dudes at linebacker. Shane Witter uh, is back as well. So let's not you know uh, sleep on him. Jake McCoy is also back. Those are kind of two your two most experienced backups, but they haven't really played a ton. And so you're you're looking for these young guys, the 2022 signees like Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis, obviously Jaron Canning, to take steps and become either starters or significant ro- rotational players. And then there's still opportunity for your Samuel Masigos, your Lewis Carters, your Phil Picciottis to to get looks on the defensive side of the ball. So yeah, Lewis Carter. I mean, and then, you know, we could talk about Phil Picciotti. I mean, that dude is a tank. He's ready-made. Like, he he is a creative player. I don't know if you've seen any pictures of him, guys, but that dude is ready to play college football, like, right now. Size, strength, got the jawline. He could go be Superman if they wanted to bring him into the DC universe. He's just got that. Um, and I know looks aren't everything, but they matter a little bit, and he's just got the – he's already got the the size, I think, to be able to – be an impact player. So those are a couple of the guys for me turning our attention to a, a few people mentioned, you know, Josh Bates. Um, no, I didn't see the picture of David Stone with Chavis uh, and Bates that got leaked. That's interesting. We'll have to go find that Josh. Um, but I wanted to ask you also like who are a few kind of like under the radar players. We, you know, we've talked a lot about like some of the, the guys that we know are going to be significant role players for this team. They're going to be, you know, key players on the depth chart, but is there anybody that's kind of flying under the radar that either we're not talking about enough or that maybe nobody's talking about enough that you could see being big time players for Oklahoma? Well, I think that we've talked about Isaiah Coe, a pretty, pretty good deal. So that, but that would be another name that maybe doesn't have the transfer portal excitement around it so i would i would start there defensively for oklahoma offensively if uh if i'm thinking about what the offensive line can be just because offensive line a lot of times doesn't maybe get the same sizzle that other positions do man the way oklahoma ran the football in the uh cheese it bowl in the way this gentleman just the aggression that they had i think Savion bird's got a chance to be really good for Oklahoma. And again, that would be a little bit that would be a little bit off the beaten path just because it's not a skill guy, right? It's uh and not a not a defensive player. Um what about for you? Anybody defensively that you're looking at or just just across the board, under the radar guy that folks aren't talking as much about. I mean, I got I kind of have to remind myself sometimes about DJ Graham. Um, you know, it's easy for me to forget about him in the wide receiver position battle because you know, he was playing cornerback last year and he made the switch. 
Uh, and we didn't get to see him playing wide receiver last year as he kind of worked on some things. But I, I think like seeing how excited um, the new, you know, Emmett Jones was the new wide receivers coach for the Sooners was about DJ Graham so much to make sure you let everybody know on Twitter, how excited he was to have that guy in his wide receiver room. I mean, that's a guy that could really end up being a starter for this team because he was successful in high school. He's got the athleticism. He's got the hands, obviously, to be an impact player at the position. Um, so that's kind of an under the radar player for me. It's it's interesting to see. It, that's still the position battle I'm most intrigued by is that wide receiver two battle to see who really emerges. I mean, there's so many guys. And I think we'll see some second portal departures because there are so many guys in the, the wide receiver room right now. We'll see how it all kind of shakes out. But then Kanai Walker, uh, you know, I'm, I know we're all really excited about Gentry Williams. I am as well. I hope he's still doing well and recovering well, uh, getting, you know, getting well and getting back out there on the field to, to practice and all that. Um, but Kanai Walker was somebody that they were really, really high on in, uh, you know, fall camp, spring ball last year and didn't really get a chance to, to see the field a ton. Saw it in a little bit in spurts, uh, you know, CJ Colden's emergence, you know, limited his, you know, playing time a little bit, but I mean, he was just a freshman last year. Uh, I think he was a true freshman for Louisville the year before. Uh, so a redshirt freshman this past season. So now he's going into a sophomore year. Good chance for him to to have a significant impact um, for, for the Sooners. Yeah, Larry, it is rare for true freshmen to make significant impacts, but there are definitely a few that could, that could stand out. It's, it's not common, but again, we saw, you know, guys like, you know, Gavin Freeman have an impact this past season. We saw, um, a do like Jaron Canning. He didn't play as much as we would have liked him to play, but he got to play on the, he got to get on the field. Our Mason Thomas, he made an impact. So there are dudes that can stand out, um, for this team and, and earn significant roles. Again, it's, you know, can they create a drumbeat of momentum that leads them into the two deep or finding a significant role on this team? Javante Barnes, somebody that got a bunch of carries and, and was a true freshman for uh, for Oklahoma. But generally speaking, probably, yeah, we're looking at guys for the most part that have been on campus or are coming to Oklahoma via the transfer portal if we're talking about uh, players that are going to impact 2023. That's the best chance. Now, I don't know how the way that 2022 played out, if that doesn't change a little bit of the thinking for Oklahoma, we'll see. Uh, we'll see on that front. I, I don't know if uh, maybe if things don't start out the way that you would like in the first couple of big 12 games, if we don't see Oklahoma maybe throw caution to the wind a little bit and play some freshmen a little bit more, but generally speaking, going in, probably we're going other directions there defensively. Under the radar player, John, what about Marcus Stripling? That, you know, I like, I think about people that maybe have kind of been forgotten a little bit. And that would be somebody that, again, I go back to Valero Alamo Bowl, great performance, didn't really happen last year. But somebody like that, I think, absolutely is going to be someone that's in the mix for Oklahoma. Yeah, Marcus Stripling had me about ready to go get a 33 jersey after that performance because I was so um, excited about what he brought and then just kind of let down and, and really let down by the, the edge group altogether. Uh, I thought they were going to be able to generate more pass rush as a unit, 
but it didn't really transpire that way. And I don't know. I, I think some of it is a scheme thing where, you know, maybe they're more suited for, you know, three man fronts um, as these bigger defensive ends than, you know, four man fronts and speed rushers. And some of it's just the big 12. The nature of the big 12 is kind of hard sometimes to generate a pass rush because guys are getting the ball out so fast, but there's still a lot of situations where dudes were holding the ball two, two and a half, three seconds. And there was very little pass rush. So uh, strip is one of those guys. Like I, I think if he can continue to develop, there's a chance. There's definitely a chance for him to have an impact but yeah, it, it, it'll be, it'll be tough because of all the talent that they brought into the portal, you know, in Bothroyd and trace Ford, uh, in Desan McCullough, who I know will, I, I think he'll get some edge snaps in addition to his cheater role. So yeah, strip is definitely one of those guys. I think we got to keep an eye on because he definitely got the, I don't know. He's got the experience at this point he's played or he's at least practiced a lot, um, at the and played enough snaps to be um, to be a big time player for the Sooners. Kip Lewis defensively at, at linebacker. I mean, I think a lot of people are sort of locked into this idea that it, it'll be Canick and Stutzman and then Desan McCullough would play that cheetah position. But, you know, Kip Lewis was right there, right behind Danny Stutzman at will when we ended last season. So, that, that's a name that's not gotten a ton of, hey, look out for Kip Lewis this season. And yet, at least looking at where we ended with the depth chart, uh, finishing up last season, maybe, right? And then any of the the young names up front, Gilliam Halton for, for Oklahoma, hopefully, you know, one of those guys can be a difference maker. Just feels like if you're not, if you're not one of the folks in the 2023 signing class or a transfer portal edition – the and your name's not Danny Stutzman or Billy Bowman. It's like I don't know. On to the next thing, and and that happens when you weren't good defensively, which Oklahoma was not good defensively a, a year ago. Everybody's ready to turn the page. What's the next chapter? Who's the next? Uh, who's the next great thing? Well, it's like you know the the recruiting class and the transfer portal create Christmas for all of us who are college football fans, especially Oklahoma Sooners fans. And so you get all these shiny new toys and you're so excited about them. You play with them for a little while. Then you remember, Oh yeah, I got these other toys that are, that I really enjoy playing with. Happened to me every year when I was a kid, I get, you know, these, these new toys for Christmas, but then I'd always kind of go back to my wrestling guys that I had playing with Lex Luger and Ric Flair and getting them into these, you know, epic matches, in my wrestling ring, like that, those were my go-to things and my baseball cards. Like those are my go-to things to, to either look at or play with or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's the same thing. You get excited about these, the recruiting class in 2023. I, I still kind of fall on the side of, because we didn't see a ton of 2022 guys play a lot in 2022. I'm not really expecting a ton of guys from the 2023 class to play a ton of snaps or to have significant roles. I think this just might be a Brent Venables mantra, so to speak. Um, but the transfer portal guys, on the other hand, I do expect them to have significant impacts, play big time roles for the Sooners. If they don't, either that's a good thing because of the guys that are coming back got better or they're not as good as we thought they were. And that's a disappointment, but it's, it's the same thing. Like there's still some talent. It's just a matter of, can that talent take a step forward a guy like Ethan Downs, I keep going back to him. Again, 
first year as a starter. Danny Stutzman, first year as a starter. Billy Bowman, first year as a starter. For Downs, he finished the season strong, like four and a half sacks over the last, or was it three sacks over the last four games or something like that? Um, had a ton of tackles for loss. It was fantastic over the final three games of the regular season. Uh, didn't really make a splash in the cheese it bowl, but again, finished the season strong and can carry that into his you know junior season with the Sooners. So there's still a lot to like about some of these guys coming back. You mentioned Kip Lewis. That was really good. You know, I think it's good that he was able to kind of trend upward as the season ended and and find himself on the two deep that gives you a little bit of hope uh, for the for the future with him. And I think Kobe McKenzie, there's still a lot of a promise there. Highly regarded guy that Texas wanted him. Texas had him for a minute before Brent Venables flipped him back. So it's it's good. You got a lot of talent. You got a lot of talent that's on an upward trajectory that still has a lot of room to develop. It's still a very young defense but they've got veteran pieces there that that can make a big impact. So um, Dion asks, would nine and three be a good year for the Sooners? Where do you land on that, Josh? I guess on the surface, good year. Yeah. Relative to the fact that you just finished six and seven. Uh, Good year. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Mostly because this past season was so bad, but a really good year? Absolutely not. You you've got Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa in the non-conference. The and again, stop me when somebody on this schedule really wows you. You say, "Man, that would be a terrific win." At Cincinnati, Iowa State and Norman, Texas Cotton Bowl, UCF and Norman, at Kansas, Oklahoma State and Stillwater, West Virginia and Norman, out to Provo versus BYU, TCU, uh, minus Duggan, minus Quentin Johnston in Norman. So there's just, because of what the schedule is, 9-3, and yeah, it's a good year relative to how last season played out, Dion. But, I mean, to me, am I going to be doing a bunch of jumping jacks and, you know, backflips and this and that? No. No, because probably that's not going to be necessarily good enough to win you the Big 12 championship either. And probably that needs to be your goal. Yeah, we're not hanging the banner for a plus three in the win column from 2022 to 2023. Is it better? Yeah, it's better, but we're not going to be satisfied with that. I mean, the Big 12 championship is what we're looking for. And this is the opportunity. You got a veteran quarterback. You got an offense that's returning a lot of guys. And if not a lot of guys, then they're returning you know, several or they're bringing in several key transfers and you got a defense that should be a lot better. And there's not really anybody else in the big 12 to contend with, uh, you know, Kansas state will be a contender because Will Howard's back and Chris Kleiman has that team on a really strong trajectory, but I'm not a believer in TCU led by Chandler Morris. I'm not a huge believer. I mean, Texas is going to be good, but who's their quarterback. If you're telling me it's Quinn Ewers, then, Okay, we've seen some of him. I don't like, is he good? Sure. But is he going to be a kid that lights the whole league on fire? We haven't seen that yet. And if it's Arch Manning, he could be great. But again, you're talking about a kid who's never played college football and he's taking a significant step up from the competition he faced in Louisiana. Still, he's got a lot of tools, but that's going into the deep end for Arch. So, I mean, he could be really good and Texas could be really good and be be that contender. But there's not a team on the schedule that I'm like, Dang, that's definitely a loss, you know? And I could have been saying the same exact thing this time last year, but 
the team, like everybody was better. Kansas State was better. TCU was much better this past year. Could Kansas State be as good? Sure, they absolutely can be. Will Howard had a really, really good year. Um, but there's no Deuce Vaughn, no Felix Anuduke or Anuduke Uzoma, excuse me. Uh, Texas Tech is going to be good um, with Henry Shuck. That's the quarterback that I couldn't remember his name earlier. Um, but again, it's it's the environments on Oklahoma's schedule that scare me more than the actual opponents. And we've talked about that at length since the schedule came out. Going to Provo in November, going to Stillwater, even if, even though it's going to be a down Oklahoma State team, that's going to be a geeked up fan base that is going to be ex- really pumped and really trying to bring the energy to give Oklahoma one last loss in Bedlam before going off to the SEC. Going to Cincinnati, again, what's Cincinnati going to look like? We don't know, but the 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 spot, the home environment that the Bearcats have created over the last several years of success. Again, a lot of that under Luke Fickle, under Desmond Ritter when he was the quarterback, a lot of that's changed, but still that fan base is going to be really pumped to have Oklahoma in-house for their first game as a Big 12 member and the only time that they'll get to host the Sooners. So a lot of that's going to be huge. Um, They're going to be creating really hostile environments for the Sooners. But again, opponent-wise, I mean, Oklahoma could be right there. So 9-3, and I mean, is it a better year? Yeah, but I'd... To me, I'd be disappointed if that's where it ended, uh, especially if they didn't play in the Big 12 championship because that means to me that they got a lot of work to do. They've still got a lot of growing to do. And, yeah, man, to me that's that's going to be important. Well, and it's also we're just looking at 9-3, and three, the absolute of the, the record itself. If I had told you 6-7 and seven before last season – you would have been in freakout mode and maybe some still are in freakout mode, but there, if I told you before last season, Brent Venables first season six and seven, and you knew none of the other information to go along with it, then probably there'd be more people that said, you know what? Yeah. I don't know that this Brent Venables hire was the, the right hire for Oklahoma. So nine and three on the surface, it is good by definition relative to what the year before it was. Yes, it would be good. And, you know, you could talk me into it was, you know, even even better than good if uh, if those, you know, if the schedule's better than we think the schedule is right now today. If nine and three includes a couple of really, really close losses and there's promise from young players, John. So, like, what does the substance of all of it look like? That's why I say for Oklahoma six and seven last season, if I told you that there, there wasn't necessarily just this automatic tons of promise going into this season for Oklahoma, you probably would have been a little bit, little bit more freaked out than even just hearing six and seven for Oklahoma. I mean, we, we can sit here and we can be optimistic, but there's plenty of reasons to be, you know, questioning what this Oklahoma team is going to look like defensively. There's not really a outside of they went and got McCullough and some of these transfer portal additions. There's, there's nothing in the way of just tangible evidence yet that Oklahoma will be much better defensively. But if you tell me that nine and three includes some obvious, obvious defensive improvement, John, and oh, by the way, again, it's in large parts because of young players that you've signed in the 22 and 23 classes that are spearheading that, then okay, it, it will be a good nine and three. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and yeah, and it's solid. Like it's not a bad season. Six and seven was a bad season. So nine and three is is good. But again, it would leave us wanting a little bit more, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like we I think we have a little bit higher expectations for the team, and that's okay. Um, but I, I just think yeah, nine and three, I'd still be like, eh, it was it was good. It was good, but you know what I mean? And and that's where we don't want to leave a season. We don't want to be like it was good, but we just want to know like it was good. It was a great season or, or it was like, again, playing for the big 12 championship to me, that's like the floor for what this team needs to accomplish going into 2023 or going into the sec after 2023. So that's kind of where I stand on that. Josh, we only got about like 10 more minutes uh, left of the live show guys. Thanks so much for being a part of it, tuning in for your comments, for your questions. Uh, Again, one of the best parts of our week. We love interacting with you all uh, here on the locked on Sooners podcast. So Josh, where do we want to head next? Because we got softball, we got more recruiting predictions. We've got, you know, the NCAA women's tournament to touch on as well. So what, what is top of your mind right now? Well, I, I'm good with any of that, though uh, I think probably a lot of the viewing and watching audience here, listening audience, probably wants to know a little bit in the way of the updates in terms of recruiting projections. So what can we pass along to you? Well, what we can pass along to you, John, is... So, so it seems like Kevin Sperry is going to be an Oklahoma Sooner if all of this comes to pass, because you've got on three, you've got rivals you got nick rivals rivals nick over at rivals you got recruiting analysts from texas and baylor and i mean everywhere talking about this 2025 quarterback and predicting him to land with the oklahoma sooners so at this point it just seems like it's a foregone conclusion the offer is in now the kid's just waiting to commit like apparently that is just the spot he wanted to go because he's still got two years till national signing day and Based on the way the offers have come in, are coming in, the kid could probably go wherever he wanted to, and especially based on what we've seen. And so the fact that everything is coming out right right now and pointing to the Sooners with two years, basically until he has to sign, a little less than two years, to me that basically means like he's going to be a Sooner. Um, you're also seeing them trend. I mean, continue to pick up projections for five star 2024 Williams Nuaneri and. I know people don't like the crystal ball thing and the predictions and stuff like that, but these guys just aren't making this stuff up. They're not just like throwing a prediction out there willy nilly. It's it's because they know something. So if they continue to trend this way and Williams continues to, or the Sooners continue to be predicted to land him to me, I'm taking that as a really positive sign that that's trending in the Oklahoma Sooners direction. And eventually they'll get a commitment and eventually they'll get a signature. Uh, the same could be said uh, for Xavier Robinson, the uh, Midwest City kid, played at Carl Albert, uh, 2,600 rushing yards, which to me is ridiculous. I only did that in NCAA 14 uh, when all I did was run triple option. So, I mean, that's if they can get him, I talked about him a couple weeks ago. Ramondre Stevenson, kind of a kid to me, just has that natural athleticism, agility, strength you know, can outrun people kind of does everything really, really well at the running back position. So things are really trending in a positive direction for the Sooners. Again, still feeling very high on Michael Hawkins being a 2024 commit and signee, but we'll see how that transpires. He's going to uh, commit on April 8th. Um, but yeah, everything's looking really, really good. 
people want us to talk about basketball, Josh, in the transfer portal, which is open today. What do the Oklahoma Sooners have to add in the portal to rebound from a really, really bad season? I'll say exactly what I said on radio today from Buffalo Wild Wings for our 68-team giveaway. They got to add everything, John, (laughs) everything out of the transfer portal. I think this is setting up to be a complete overhaul for OU. And the, the one common thread outside of just results not meeting what Oklahoma fans would hope for Oklahoma men's basketball under Porter Moser, John, the one common thread is retention on the roster hasn't happened and it's been it's been a revolving door every single offseason and I don't think this offseason is going to be any different this one might be as pronounced as each of the two before it and maybe then some in some regards for Oklahoma so uh, I, I you know bigs they need bigs okay well they need a guard that can go score they need a guard that can go break somebody down off the dribble they, they need anything they could possibly find out of the transfer portal right now. They are that bad. They need that many upgrades. And the roster itself in Norman, it's, it's that below Big 12 quality that they're going to have to gut the thing and redo all of it. I hope, and I've been campaigning this for a little while now, to me, you either fire Porter Moser today or you give Porter Moser two more seasons because he, John, has that much retooling, I believe, with this roster to do. So you either believe that, okay, Porter Moser is going to get this thing turned around. He's going to get it fixed. And I get some people say, well, why would you want to continue treading water? That's why I say you're either willing to run that risk of treading water for two more years or you rip the Band-Aid off right now and you go find a different head coach. I guess the, the big question comes down to, do you trust Joe Castiglione? If you do, if you think he's a really good athletic director, then we're willing to give him a little bit more leash, give him a little bit more time because if Josie trusts him and believes that he's going to be able to turn the program around, then you got to believe it because I mean, there's been very few like bad hires. I feel like in the Josie era, I'm sure somebody could point to one, but I mean, so far it's been pretty good. So you just got to give it a little bit of time. I think they got to find a shooter, man. They got to find one dude that can just light it up from three. I don't care if he does anything else. Well, he just sits in the corner and he just lights it up from three, the Taylor Robertson on the men's side. They just need somebody who can just bury a three when it's open, you know, at a 50 or 40% clip. Like you got to find that guy because there's so many open threes from this team that get missed that are just mind boggling. And they, you just shake your head at now. I'll, I'll say I was not a great shooter, but I'm also not a division one college basketball player. So they got to find somebody that can, that can hit some threes on a consistent basis every single game. You know, if they shoot six threes, they're making three or four of them, or they're making two or three of them every single time. They're not going two for 11 from three. They're not as a team going three for 22 from three. That's just not going to work. If you're going to shoot that many threes, you got to make them efficiently. I know I keep harping on that, but they shoot a ton of threes for a team that doesn't shoot threes well. So it doesn't work. So do something different or find a really, really good three-point shooter. Again, I don't care if that's all he does. He could get whooped on the defensive end. If he can shoot threes, bring him to Norman, please. Uh, softball, Josh, we got another uh, run-roll victory this time over South Dakota State, an impromptu game. 
uh, for the Sooners. Nicole May, again, four shutout innings for her. Is she going to get scored on? That's going to be the, the the thing we track now. Oklahoma lost a game. Now it's Nicole May watch. We'll, we'll start tracking her uh, scoreless innings pitched. But a big game coming up for them against Florida State, but a really nice way to kind of start off a, what's going to be a huge week uh, with the, the um, Hall of Fame Classic happening in Oklahoma City. Got Florida State in Norman. Big win over South Dakota State. Yeah, it's going to be going to be fun to watch uh, how this Oklahoma Florida State matchup plays out for OU. So you, you got somebody that you very well similar to UCLA. This could be someone that you cross paths with again in the Women's College World Series, and who knows, maybe for the uh, national championship itself. So good little litmus test of where Oklahoma's at. So we think we know where Oklahoma's at, which is uh, the the tops in the sport. But uh, we're going to get another peek at that tomorrow night. So can't wait to see it. Yeah. And Elena Torres, the ASU transfer, Arizona State transfer that came in uh, this past offseason, hit her first home run, a grand slam in the win. Got to get her going. Got to get Sydney Sanders going. If those two start getting hot, it's all she wrote. It's church or like Vince Carter would say, it's over for everybody else in college softball because this team is just lighting up the scoreboard and they're pitching as well as anybody in the nation right now. Uh, but Hey guys, we're about to run out of time. Josh last final take wherever you want to take it. Hit me with something strong. Uh, well, you could be the judge on whether or not this is hitting it with something strong here, but uh, Oklahoma baseball continues to flip the switch. Uh, nice little series for them versus Houston. Easton Carmichael, congratulations, the uh, OU catcher. Big 12 newcomer of the week, 12 hits, 13 ribbies, John, in five games last week. Uh, batted a cool 571 from the dish, hit a couple of bombs, a couple of triples, scored uh, six runs to lead Oklahoma to a 5-0 record last week. So the Prosper Texas native, uh, I heard Toby Rowland say it this evening, uh, he said he thinks this is your your next Peyton Graham, et cetera, et cetera. This is your next star for Oklahoma baseball. So congratulations to him, and great to see the uh, Sooners starting to heat up a little bit on the baseball diamond. Yep, and they got Wichita State uh, in the midweek and then host TCU this weekend. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning into the live show. Again, every Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time, where we'll take your questions, your comments, react as we go. But thanks so much for being a part of the show, being in the chat, interacting with us as we go. It's always a lot of fun. Make sure you follow Josh on Twitter, at Josh on Ref. Follow myself, at John9Williams. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. Hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop and hit that like button. Again, thanks so much for being a part of the show and tuning in. Until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Boomer Sooner.